Hello, I'm Leanne Townsend, a family law lawyer and chair of the family law group at Mills and Mills LLP. Welcome to Divorcing Well. In this week's episode, we're talking about the very relevant topic of gray divorces and also their effects on the adult children who are affected by them. Uh, Recently in the news, we've been hearing about Bill and Melinda Gates, and there's some other high-profile couples over the last while that have split up who are in this age bracket. So it's a great topic, and I'm really excited to have on the podcast today two guests uh, by the name of Carol Hughes and Bruce Fredenberg. And they have written a book um, that specifically is on this topic. And they're going to chat about the book. The book is called Home Will Never Be the Same Again. And we're going to talk about gray divorces generally. So welcome to the podcast, uh, Bruce and Carol. Thanks for having us, Leanne. Yeah, we're glad to be here. Thank you. So why don't we just start off, um, I'll ask each of you just to, to give the listeners a little bit of um, background about you and, and your bio and why you wrote this book. So I would say ladies first. So Carol, I'll start with you. <laughs> uh, I'm going to let Bruce start because he talked, he does this intro better than I do. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, Carol and I um, have a number of unfinished books in our computers. And we were surprised that this became our first book. Uh, we met in graduate school uh, some decades ago, and we've been friends ever since. And uh, for the more than, I guess, about the last 20 odd years, more than that, almost 30 years, we have been in the same suite in, in offices. We call each other our, our best friends we're not married to. And <laughs> Carol and I have been a therapist all this time, and this demographic has shown up in our practice. And one of the family law attorneys we work with uh, explained it that adult children are major stakeholders in their parents' divorce. And, and, you know, we hadn't heard that term before, but we understood what it meant. And and it's true. And we've been seeing that. And Carol wrote a blog article just for our, our local practice group. And some months later, a reporter for the New York Times was researching the subject, found her blog article, called her up and interviewed her. And because it's the New York Times, when it got published, lots of people saw it. And some months later, a literary agent for uh, one of the big literary houses in New York uh, saw the article and it resonated with her. And she called Carol up and said, would you be willing to write a book on this? And Carol's the type of person who always says yes to opportunities like that. And because she's my friend, she said, would you like to write this book with me? And I said, yes. And I had no idea it was going to be a four-year journey from the research and the writing and the editing. And um, we've found that uh, after the book came out, that a lot of divorce professionals have told us that uh, they had not noticed it so much in their practice until we brought it to their attention. And they've told us that it's been really impactful for them and their clients. So that's the story of how this book got here. And here we are. Well, that's fantastic. Um, I don't know, Carol, do you have anything to add to Bruce's uh, background as to how the book came to, to be written? I think one thing I just wanted to clarify, Bruce mentioned I wrote a blog for our practice group. We are members of Collaborative Divorce Solutions of Orange County, which is in Southern California. And the practice group is uh, a combination of uh, family lawyers, family uh, financial specialists, and therapists, divorce coaches, child specialists. 
and we work in mediation and collaborative divorce, which are out-of-court processes. So we get to know each other much more closely than if we're working alongside attorneys in litigation, which we also do, Bruce and I do. Uh, but that's the practice group he was talking about. And it's part of an international movement. You probably know about it. There are a number of collaborative lawyers, very good ones there in um, Toronto as well, and maybe even you. And it's uh, about a 30-year-old movement worldwide to um, help people have peaceful, respectful divorces. Yeah, it's definitely a great movement and definitely peaceful and respectful is uh, the way to go whenever possible. And, uh, you know, I wish there was more of that, but um, I think, you know, we tend to hear sometimes more about the high conflict ones and not as much about the, the more peaceful ones. Um, now, with respect to gray divorces, um, why do you think they are increasing? It, you know, for a long time ago, we didn't really hear about these so much. Um, what, what about the current times is causing them to be on the increase? Right. Well, a lot of people don't even know the term gray divorce. And it was coined in 2004 by the American Association of Retired People, which is a United States organization. And maybe it's worldwide now. I don't know. Uh, and so they stumbled upon some statistics that how much this population, which is they said was ages 50 plus and older, was divorcing. And then in um, 2010, 12 rather, Bowling Green State University was re researching the U.S. census and discovered that between 1990 and 2010 uh, in the U.S., the divorce rate had doubled in this age population. And the age of people 65 and older during that same time frame had tripled. And then they continued their research on into 2015 and the same statistics were showing up. And uh, worldwide, we know now that this is a trend in the industrialized countries. Um, and you probably know, uh, an attorney told us not long ago that in, in Canada, they're called silver splitters. I'm sorry, divorce, diamond divorces, diamond divorces. In the UK, they're called silver splitters. And Bruce and I think uh, the biggest, uh, best kind of name that came along is Japan has called it uh, the retired husband syndrome. And, then Bruce, <laughs> and Bruce, you can talk about what some of the reasons are that this is happening in this population. It's it's varied, and and um, the adult children of this population are not monolithic. They range in age from eighteen, where they're technically adults. But I don't know if you have any children, or you've. Uh, ever, you know, known any children that uh, go into college and who mm -hmm. technically might be adults, but if you're the parent and you're supporting them, you know, they're, they're not really. They <laughs> I have a couple of those right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you know what I'm talking about? I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's our culture just takes more and more time just to learn the basics of, of what you need to know to go out and learn things. So, and so the, this demographic is, was first the baby boomers, but now the people coming along behind them. And uh, some of the things are that we're living longer, maybe, maybe not technically the number of years, but the number of years that we're healthy and active. And so when people are, are first married, sometimes they're, they're a good match, sometimes they're not. But in, in any event, they can get absorbed in their, their career development, raising the kids and, and maybe drift into parallel lives. And then it, uh, the kids are gone and they're looking at each other and maybe thinking, I don't know this person or I don't like this person anymore. I, maybe I'm 
can hardly tolerate this person. It depends. And I still got 20 or 30 years of life left in me and I don't want to do this. And so people will choose to, to break up um, in the last uh, several, I guess, not several decades, I guess so, that women have been entering the workforce or being major players in the workforce outside of the home. And so where a lot of people stayed in their marriages because they couldn't afford to leave them, a lot of women have their own income, their own reserves and retirement, and they don't have to stay. And so they, they, they move on. And then there's been a shift in the, at least in the U.S., and I believe it's in Canada too, but statistically in 2001, about 45% of the population considered divorce morally acceptable. And by 2014, that had risen to 69%. And, and we're expecting it's even more than that now. And in fact, in, in our area, one of the family law attorneys who is active in the in Catholic church was able to persuade the, the local bishop of the diocese here to hold a mass for divorced people, which is a real change for the Catholic church. And they did it twice. Mm -hmm. And so all those things come together. And so it, it's, you know, it's resulting in this increase. And it seems like till death do us part has been replaced by, I want to be happy. <laughs> and so I'm going to be happy. And it's a cultural shift. And, and what we read is this is happening in the industrialized countries. It isn't just in the U.S. Right. And, well, women, women are, are instigating most of the divorces. And again, I, I think the statistics are probably similar in Canada. But in the U.S., over 300,000 couples uh, divorce in this category and it's growing. And so that's 600,000 people and plus their one to two kids. So that means every year annually in the U.S., an additional 900,000 to 1.2 million people enter this population. And because it's so unserved, not even underserved, but unserved, that the people who were hurting last year are probably still hurting, the people who were hurting the year before, and the people who are going to come in this year and next year are going to hurt. So it's, it's quite a big problem. It is, and it, I mean, it's, I think it is reflective of you know, the current culture, you talked about, you know, this, I want to be happy. And, you know, one of the things I noticed in, in a lot of areas, um, you know, not just relationships, it's all, I also noticed it in, in work life and things like that is a lot of people nowadays, it's this instant gratification and people, if something's hard or it requires work, they don't want to do it, whether it's a job or, or a relationship. And, um, I would expect to see that, you know, reflected more in younger people's relationships, because I think, you know, it's more, you know, people in their 20s or 30s that maybe are more this instant gratification cultures. But it's interesting how it is carrying over, you know, into people 50, 60, 70 uh, as well. Mm -hmm. In the U.S., it's the fast, the gray divorce is the fastest growing divorce rate, while the younger generations, uh, it's declining. And a lot of them aren't marrying either because they're turned off by the institution of marriage and that the law is so involved in divorce and feeling like the government is in their marriage kind of thing. So, yeah, so it's a it's a, this population more embraced the idea of marriage, you know, in their younger years. And now, as you say, it's flowing up, I think, this instant gratification uh, philosophy. 
Now, in the news right now, we're hearing a lot about, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates and, uh, you know, they're divorced. And one of the things I have a lot of people say to me that I'd be interested on both of your perspectives on is, you know, people look at a couple like that and they say they've got all this money and they're, you know, whatever age they are, they're in the gray, you know, divorce range. Um, Why not just stay? Why, you know, why not just stay together And, you know, you can kind of lead separate lives, like maybe have some sort of agreement that, you know, you can each have other, you know, as long as you're discreet, other relationships, but just stay together, enjoy the money, don't have to divide things up. Why go through all of that later in life? Um, So why do you think people are not doing that? Like, why, why why are people doing what the Gates are doing? And even though it you know would be more cost effective to just stay together and develop separate lives if need be um but instead they're going through with you know having their net worth in many cases cut in half at age you know 60 something mm-hmm. well I, somebody put it to me once and and i thought that you know for some people this is the case he said i'd rather be alone than tormented so if somebody <laughs> And I thought, well, yeah, that's probably I would too. And so sometimes the marriages have fallen to that point. Maybe they weren't a good match. Now, I, I want to point out that we don't personally know anybody in the Gates family. But what we do know is that money can solve all the problems that only money can solve. But there's a lot of things that money can't solve. And so money can magnify problems or it can cushion. So they're not likely, I would guess, to be, you know, deprived of income over time where they have to really, you know, tighten their belts too much. But there's still that thing of, you know, people could be have not been a good match or if they were a good match and then found as they went through life that they were interested in other things. There can be a power imbalance that someone could resent or or not resent. There could just be different aims in life. And so there's so many factors that go into, um, you know, having a marriage fall apart. Sometimes, and you may be familiar with the, uh, the Gottman research at the University of Washington, where they found really one of the only things you can quantify to predict who's going to get divorced is that uh, in order for an intimate relationship like a marriage to keep going, for every negative interaction, there have to be at least five positive interactions to counterbalance it. It's not arguing. If you argue a lot, but you're, you're doing other things and you have that balance. So some people say, well, we got along most of the time. Well, 80% is most of the time, but that's only four to one. And I find a lot of couples, a lot of families have been neglecting their their fun serum levels, or maybe they never did enjoy that many activities together. But There are certain family business conversations that everybody has to have, no matter how busy they are or how wealthy. Now, for for most of us, the topic is hardly ever, honey, what are we going to do with all this extra money? Usually it's about one of the kids needs braces or college tuition or, or different things. And that means I'm not getting the new car I wanted this year. And so that can be, and then so those conversations can leave a, a negative impression. And if people aren't actively doing things that they both enjoy together to counterbalance that five to one, it's easy for people to slip away. So, you know, I don't know the details of the families till I get to know them, but those dynamics seem to be in play a lot. And I'm sure Carol has things mm-hmm. to add as well. Mm-hmm. I wanted to piggyback on what you said that the gentleman said to you, Bruce. I'd rather be alone than tormented. Uh, And so it often boils down to the emotional quality of life. 
that the client that the couple is feeling in their marriage and uh, the, the power imbalance too is often a big issue, especially when the kids leave home, uh, because often, you know, even today, even though most uh, American women are working outside the home, and you probably know the statistics for, for Canada, Leanne, uh, once the children leave home, even if the wife has been working outside the home and being as much of a mother as she can be, uh, when they leave, that part of her job is gone. And then, then she starts to become a lot more aware of the power imbalance, if there is one in the relationship. And that's one reason that women, besides the economics that Bruce talked about earlier, that women don't have to be as dependent on their husbands or partners. That's one, one of the major reasons, those two, why women are the ones who file more frequently for divorce. That's interesting. Now, one of the things that I see happening as well is uh, parents of adult children um, sometimes have a tendency to bring their children, you know, into the divorce issues uh, a little more so than, the, I mean, you see them doing it with younger children too, but it, it's almost like in their minds, they think because the children are adults, that it's okay to involve them and ask them to pick sides or use one of the children for emotional support and those sorts of things. And so um, how does, what are some of the unique challenges that adult children of divorce face that people might not be aware of? Right. Well, one of them, Bruce mentioned earlier, the young adults, uh, the, the earliest ages, 18 to 25, 26-ish, it's called young adulthood. And they're often still financially dependent for schooling or, you know, other things in their lives on their parents. And if the if the estate, as you said, is going to be split, sometimes the parents can't continue helping them with that. And a little bit of research that there is on adult children uh, does indicate that a lot of the children in this age group do have to drop out of their post high school or whatever it's called in different countries. Uh, they're, they're training, you know, for whatever they're studying to be, have a career or a profession, they have to drop out and start you know, working or increase their working. Um, also, the, the middle age of the adult uh, developmental stage from 26-ish to early 40s, we call them the sandwich generation. They are stuck between often they have their own children now, and they're dependent on them, obviously. And then if the, their parents are depending on them for emotional support, sometimes financial support, uh, it's very stressful on this age group uh, that, again, the research indicates sometimes their relationships start having trouble, their marriages or their long-term relationships, if they have them, they start questioning, am I going to be just like my mom or dad? Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And again, as you said earlier, if the parents are depending on them as like their therapist, their best friend, sometimes even a dating partner, you know, asking them to go out with them on dates. That's how you can imagine, very stressful. And so then they start having problems at work, focusing, concentrating, drinking too much, whatever. And then the oldest generation, uh, age group rather, the 45-ish on of adult children, their parents are much older now and sometimes infirm or uh, very um, susceptible to perhaps con artists, you know, trying to take some of the estate money and so forth. And then the same issues of them talking too much, you know, with their adult children and not being willing to 
work with a clergy person or a therapist on their own. And sometimes when marriages have gone downward for decades, the friend group of the couples is not very solid either. And so when they split up, they find that sometimes their adult children are their quote, best friends, but none of that is healthy to put their adult children in those roles. And the adult children in the research spoke out very, very strongly about that. Some so much that about half would uh, distance themselves from their parents to have that space and set those boundaries. And, uh, but the good news in that research is that after about five years, some 10 years, these adult children reached out to their parents and did reconnect and either worked in counseling or however they, they did it, uh, which is a real tribute to the attachment bonds that parents and children have over the lifetime. Leanne, the way we structured the book, um, since most people aren't aware of the problem, we had to identify the problem at the beginning and then and talk about what was going on. But we didn't want it to be something that would make people feel hopeless. So in every chapter, we've woven in tips and strategies, things to be aware of. And we even have a whole chapter on hope and healing. Uh, and tell people how to be proactive. And, and one of the things Carol started to touch on was the the the, the, the friend group going away and, and, and parents uh, choosing the kids to be allies. And one of the problems, or a big problem for that is that when the family starts asking the children to take up sides, and especially if, uh, you know, the blood relative of the parents, uh, their siblings and their parents might, who are the aunts and uncles and grandparents of the children, if they start inviting the adult children into bash the other parent conversations, that can create a lot of wounds that are hard to repair. Or if siblings choose up a different parent, or, or one wants to talk to the parent who's considered the bad person in the whole affair, and that becomes a boundary issue. Who really has a right to tell someone what relationship they can have with their own other parent? And so one of the things we advise the, the adult parents to do, in, in addition to not dismissing their, their adult children's concerns, but to listen to them, but better than that, to let them know that it's okay if they have an onward relationship with their other parent. We understand that. And to go to their own siblings and their own parents and let, let them be really clear that we don't want our children, even though they're adults, we don't want them to be involved in this and create a family civil war. And you think that would be obvious because the adults who are divorcing are experiencing firsthand that being an adult doesn't protect you from pain. So why would anybody think that their adult children are not feeling the pain and the destruction? And then Carol likes to talk about the nevers. One of the things going on with the adult children is they're now realizing that there's a good chance we're never going to have Christmas together again or Passover together. Uh, I, maybe I'll never see my parents in the same room again. My, my grandkids are used to, my kids are used to seeing grandpa and grandma as a loving couple and they may never see them together again. Or, um, what if somebody needs more help and, and I need to take money out of my nuclear family and my spouse isn't really on board with that? That's a problem for me. And, and, you can, and then the, the classic is the one who won't show up to any events if the other is going to be there. And so what does that do for family celebrations like weddings and births and graduations that can, instead of being celebration, the focus is now on the, the hurting parent and they turn into, instead of celebrations, they become family traumas. And that can lead to the withdrawal that Carol was talking about. And then people can even get separated from their, 
their grandparent kids. And so we think it's important for people to have this information so that they can be proactive and at least avoid the worst mistakes. It's, you know how it is. I'm sure you've seen a lot of that in your career. No, definitely. Um, I'm curious how you guys came up with the title of the book, Home Will Never Be the Same Again. That's a really good question. Um, we, as you read the book, uh, a lot of the stories in the book are composites of clients that we had worked with and some from the, all the research that we found, which again isn't much, but, and that phrase kept coming up, a sentence rather, home will never be the same again. Home will never be the same again. And it was actually uh, our agent who first came to me to write the book. She just came up one day and said, I think that's the title of the book. Home will never be the same again when she read the manuscript. So she gets credit for that. <laughs> I guess we get credit too for, you know, putting it in the book, but uh, it was her idea. Yeah, let's say it's a great title. Um, now, I know you guys mentioned that you work with children of, um, you know, various ages, not just adult children. And I'm wondering um, if there's any research out there uh, on the, the issue of, is there a particular age range um, for children that the impact of divorce is most significant? I'm glad you asked that too, Leanne, uh, because there... The <laughs> The, the answer is a different one than what you're asking. No, the, uh, the, the single best predictor of the adjustment of children, minor and adult children to their parents' divorce emotionally, their best adjustment, so it's kind of what you're asking, uh, is the level of conflict between the parents. It isn't about the children's age. And that's what was probably shocking to a lot of people who have read the book or that we've, whom we've interviewed with, because as Bruce said, you know, why would adults who are children, or all children of somebody as adults, why would they not have negative emotions too, just like the minor children do? Um, because divorce is never a neutral event to children, no matter what their age. It's never neutral. There's so, many, there's so much loss that is never, never gets filled, you know? Um, the fam nuclear family is not never together, um, even if they do holidays and things together and try to be more family focused, which is what we hope people will do when they read the book. It's still a loss because they're still not really together, but they're at least together for the holidays. And so that's the single biggest predictor of children's adjustment at all ages is the level of conflict. You mentioned high conflict earlier, uh, Leanne, and we know, and I saw you shaking your head when we were talking about it, that is the most difficult part of divorce is that if parents are high conflict and will not be guided by people like you and people like us to what will be best for them and for their children, whatever age their children are. One of the things we, inform families of is that actually the father's relationship with the adult children is the one that's most at risk. Uh, because in our culture, maybe many cultures, the, the women are typically the kinship keepers. And so um, the fathers, well, if they, if they don't stay alone, if they get involved with another woman, they'll often be attached to that family. And if, it's, if there's already been sides uh, taken up and there's been in, infighting in the family, then the fathers sometimes will solve it by just fading away. 
And ultimately, our relationships with our, our children, in my experiences, that's really what people are going to be glad they saved or really wish they hadn't allowed to be ruined after a divorce. I mean, that's what people are going to really be lived with. I mean, live with because life is primarily an emotional experience. And, you know, the, the three of us obviously value the intellect or we wouldn't have gone to school so long. But I guarantee that if I played a song in the radio right now that reminded you of being 15 or 16, your first thought would not be uh, conjugating French verbs or solving quadratic equations. <laughs> But there was a time you spent many hours mastering, mastering those skills. But the first thing that would come up would be how you learned to feel about yourself, who you wanted to like you. In my case, who I wanted to like me but didn't really like me back. I mean, you know, 15, 16 or tender years. And, and if people really look at it, that that's what drives our decisions. And at the end of the day, that's what we're going to be left with is, you know, these emotional uh, experiences. And, and that's how life is at any given time. You know, how's life? Well, how do you feel most of the time? That's how your life is, you know? And so it's really important that people have this information so they can be proactive. And if they can't do it on their own, we suggest they go to a professional, either a clergy person or a, a family therapist, someone who's been through this before with other people and is trained to help people get by this. And that ties in really well with my next question, which is um, what can uh, older parents do um, who are divorcing to help their adult children cope? So the very first thing is to listen to what their adult children are saying they are feeling and experiencing and listen to understand, not listen to judge, criticize, try to tell their adult child or children, what they should be feeling, that they should be happy for them, they should this, should that. There's research in our field that indicates that listening deeply without judgment facilitates healing. And so that's the number one recommendation that we make. And two, a lot of the things we've already been talking about, uh, don't tell your children, you know, adult children to take sides. Uh, don't badmouth the other parent. Uh, don't lean on them as your therapist or your dating buddy. Don't share stories from the marriage that are really between you and your spouse, that you really are not topics for your adult children. Adult children say they don't want to hear about their parent's sex life. You know, what a bad, you know, checkbook balancer uh, the mom or dad was, et cetera. The list goes on. Um, so a lot of those things we have already mentioned. Did I forget some, Bruce, that we haven't already talked about? Um, maybe, but I don't remember them right off the top of my head right now. But yeah, those are the things. And, and again, I think the, one of the most important things is to have those boundaries. I mean, to respect the, the parent-child relationship. I mean, who wants to hear about your parents' sex life? Mm -hmm. And or or the rotten things they did to me, you know, and 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 ruin all those childhood memories or their view, or even if they share it, people want to feel okay about their parent, and then to um, not let people choose upside and and, mm -hmm. and avoid that as best you can. Get get help somewhere. Mm -hmm. And we encourage people to when they've done some of their own healing work. Um, often, right at the beginning, they're not able to. Some parents are able to, is to come up with their divorce story. And Bruce alluded to this earlier today. And what they do with that is, what is their intention for making 
divorce is a loss for everybody, but making mitigating the negative emotional impact for everybody involved, their adult children, maybe their grandchildren, community members, extended family, uh, their, their friends in their religious groups. And so this divorce story is like what Bruce said, there's no good guy parent, bad guy parent. We don't want you to line up, you know, like if in battle, we're choosing a respectful, uh, dignified way to divorce. We're not going to have a bloodbath. We want you to all still be able to be friends with each other. You don't have to lose your grandparents, your aunts and uncles and so forth. And so that you're giving permission to your adult children and even grandchildren and all the other relatives and friends to not feel like they have to take sides. And that is one of the healthiest things that people who are divorcing can do, frankly, for all ages of children that they have, for sure. That's so true. Now, the full title of your book is Home Will Never Be the Same Again, A Guide for Adult Children of Gray Divorce. Where can listeners find this book if they'd like to purchase it? Well, it's, it's on Amazon. It's just about all books are on Amazon and, and it's in Amazon Canada as well. And the publisher is Roman and they spell Roman a little differently. It's R-O-W-M-A-N, Roman and Littlefield. It's available for them from them as well. And I'm sure from other outlets, but those are the ones we're most familiar with. And okay. it's available in ebook, Kindle, ah, yes. uh, audiobook, and hardback. Hardback is what the publisher first publishes in. So that's why it's hardback only. Okay. And how can listeners find each of you if they would like to, uh, um, you know, find out more about what you do and um, potentially work with you? I, I have mm-hmm. listeners from all over the world. Yes. Yes. Um, I have two websites. One is my therapy website and one is my divorce practice website. So my therapy website is drcarolhughes.com. And then my, and you can email me through that website and my divorce practice website is divorcepeacemaking.com, all one word and no punctuation on either of those website names. Bruce? And my therapy website is on psychology today under Bruce Fredenberg, uh, licensed marriage and family therapist. And I can be emailed or, or called on the phone through that one. And I've my Divorce practice website is orangecountydivorcecoach.com. And Carol and I both can be found on the website of Collaborative Divorce Solutions Orange County, which is cdsoc.com. And there's a field for find a professional. If you click on that, you'll see both of our smiling faces and more of our backgrounds. We're also on the international uh, website, uh, collaborativepractice.com. You can do find a professional there too. And there's a lot more information about us there than on uh, actually on our websites or on the, our practice group. Yeah, we actually have t- over the years and we still do, we train therapists and, and uh, family law attorneys and financial specialists on how to do this kind of work. And, and, you know, in, like when Carol talked about the divorce story, even though people are going to forget and make mistakes, it, brings them a good callback to what they intended to do. Cause you know, nobody says, Oh good. Well, now we can wreck the kids and Hey, it's a twofer. We can wreck the grandkids too. No, everybody says we don't want to hurt our family. And then they start arguing over teacups or, and then there's the time you're, you did, and then they forget and it causes turmoil. But if you can bring them back with that uh, divorce story that they crafted themselves, there's going to be mistakes, but at least you can stop them when you become aware of it. 
Exactly. Well, thank you both so much. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today. And I really appreciate you coming on my podcast. Thank you again for having us, Leanne. Yeah, thank you very much. We're happy to be here. And thank you to my listeners. Please tune in each week. Please like, subscribe, review, and uh, join me here again next week on Divorcing Well. Hi, my name is Janet Finaki, and I'm the host of the Resilient People podcast. I interview regular people from around the world who've experienced something major in their lives, bounced back, and found a purpose in helping others be resilient too. They're folks like you and me, and their stories are totally relatable, extraordinary, and inspiring. I had no idea what I could do until I did it. But it's the motivation of doing for other people that you know need support, need help, that you're able to really push and dig and find what you can do. Have an open discussion and not write us off and allow us to actually talk about our disability. Like, don't assume my limits Mm -hmm. for me. You know, we went for a drive, told her what her mom was going through and what the likely outcome is going to happen. And we both just bawled. And then finally, Kate just said that we need to have hope. And to be resilient, you have to, you have, to have hope. Join me as we get to know some incredibly resilient people. The Resilient People Podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thank you for joining me on Divorcing Well. If you have any separation or divorce questions, you can get in touch with me via my website at www.leannetownsend.ca.